I think people realize that no matter where you park your wealth, um, it, it will inflate in a way. I think a lot of people decide to to take this bet and hedge against the current system and just um, start saving small amounts in Bitcoin weekly or monthly. We currently are living through this mental shift in the developed world to, to view Bitcoin not as speculation anymore, like not as pure speculation where you put money in and after you made 10x or 100x, you get the money out again and go back into euros or dollars or yen or what have you, but really see it as saving and use Satoshis as your measure of wealth and value. Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Hello girls and boys, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being here again. It's another week and another episode of the Bitcoin and Co. podcast. It's number 67 and my guest today is Chichi, a software developer and computer scientist. Chichi wrote 21 Lessons, a book in which he shares his learnings from falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Two years ago, he quit his job and started to work solely in the Bitcoin space. Please excuse the bad sound quality on my side. My microphone failed and usually I have a much better sound quality. Next time it will be better again. If you have a question about the podcast or want to give me some feedback, feel free to visit the episode page at anita.link forward slash 67 where you will find an audio recorder to record your question or feedback. Please hit the subscribe button in your podcast player now and share the episode with your friends and family. Before we start, a word from my sponsors. I'm excited about my new sponsor, Shift Crypto and their Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. I've known the team behind the Bitbox O2 for some time now and I feel we share the same values. We both believe in financial independence and that means holding your own keys. We also care about making it easy for everyone to keep their Bitcoin safe. The Bitbox O2 is a Swiss-made hardware wallet. It makes it simple to store and use your coins. I especially like the fact that they have a Bitcoin-only edition and I can use it directly with my phone. Check out the Bitbox O2 at shiftcrypto.ch. That's S-H-I-F-T-C-R-Y-P-T-O dot C-H. You'll get a 10% discount with the code ANITA if you buy a Bitbox O2. Local Bitcoins is one of the most trusted and the largest peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platforms in the world. On Local Bitcoins, you can buy and sell your Bitcoins in an easy, fast and secure way, always protected by escrow. Unlike stock-like exchanges, Local Bitcoins allows you to trade with people like you, And you can choose any currency you prefer and find a safe payment method to complete your trade. Local Bitcoins also offers a web wallet, so you can trade and deposit and send out your Bitcoins all in one account. Go to www.localbitcoins.com to buy and sell Bitcoin. Not your keys, not your coins is one of the basic rules in Bitcoin. Therefore, I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet, which is what most professional crypto experts use. For those who have difficulties with the technical requirements and constant maintenance of hardware wallets, there is the card wallet. The card wallet is a very simple and secure solution for long-term storage of Bitcoin and Ethereum. No software updates needed, it's 100% offline and it leaves no traces on the blockchain. You can give it away as a gift or inheritance. You can send Bitcoin to it and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker, founded in 2014. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off. And finally, a shout out to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, where you can find other Bitcoin-related podcasts like Citizen Bitcoin, the original Let's Talk Bitcoin show with Andreas M. Antonopoulos, POV Crypto and more. Okay, hello Chichi, welcome to the show. Hey Anita, thanks for having me. 
I'm glad that you're here. Uh, it's the first time that you're my guest. Please tell us a little bit about you. When I first saw your name uh, online, I thought, Der Gigi seems to be a German speaker. And uh, yeah, then we met at the Lightning Conference in Berlin. And yeah, I'm really curious about your profession and your story. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm indeed a German speaker. So uh, for everyone who is not aware, Der Gigi simply says like the Gigi and Gigi is a name and uh, <laughs> Der is the German pronoun. So if you know German, it's kind of obvious that I'm German speaking as well, or at least you can guess it as, as you did, Anita. And yes, so my background is in computer science and I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole uh, the last couple of years really hard. Like <laughs> it got, <laughs> it got um, worse and worse over time. And like two years ago now, I think I, I quit my job and I've been in, in Bitcoin full time pretty much. And yeah, as I said, my background is in computer science and I've been working in the software industry for the last 15 years. And I should have been very primed to find Bitcoin early and I actually actually found it quite early as well but i dismissed it for the first couple of years that yeah <laughs> it's the same story that you've heard before a million times probably like you first hear of it and look into it a little bit but you think this can never work and it's just funny internet money and so that was the case for me as well and that's also part of the reason why i dedicated so much time in the last couple of years to education and doing my part in hopefully helping some people to not make the same mistakes that I made. It's true. It's very common that people find it, dismiss it, and then come back again because Bitcoin, wow, it's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and what, how are you earning your money? I mean, you're full-time working in the Bitcoin space and are you developing stuff or... Uh, doing uh, work for clients well i i was lucky enough to to earn quite a bit of money beforehand and also yeah i had some savings that i blew through in the last couple of years <laughs> so i w i wasn't exactly profitable the last couple of years but i hope to get back into the software side of things again so i've been writing a lot of words for bitcoin in the last couple of years and i um, started to write software again particularly in the bitcoin space so of course it would be quite easy for me to find a regular software development job but you know as it is in in bitcoin it kind of eats you up and i'm not interested in working on anything else besides bitcoin so yeah that's what i focus all my time and energy on And I've I've been working with a couple of companies in the Bitcoin space in the last couple of yeah years now already uh, last couple of months especially, and I can't talk about anything publicly yet. But I think I will probably have a software development gig. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of things that I can do. Let's put it like that. That will also be profitable for myself. A great story actually from from how shall I say, a nobody, a nobody with Bitcoin to having a software gig and being in the middle of it. I think that's a very um, a common story also in the space that people just start to contribute and suddenly they are Bitcoin core contributors. <laughs> yeah, I think if you put your mind to it, there really is no barrier to entry. That's the nice thing about Bitcoin. Like if you, if you work hard at it, there's no one who is able to stop you like if your contributions are actually good and if you have meaningful things to say and or even meaningful things to contribute on the code side of things then i think it's it's quite easy to build yourself a reputation and also join other teams and stuff like that and we we see that we see that over and over again and very recently uh, a friend of mine rash he he published a medium article where he he wrote about his journey of not coding at all like from hello world to bitcoin core and that's that's very impressive like not knowing anything about coding and like two or three years later contributing to bitcoin core that's that's quite an impressive feat and there are a bunch of people like him that that managed to do that so yeah it's 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 an interesting space that's for sure but a similar story from amiti utava uh, she's also a core developer And she also told me that story that a few years ago, uh, she didn't know how to code. And I think that's great that 
it's so open and without restrictions. Yeah, so everybody can really participate. What grasped your interest the most when you rediscovered Bitcoin for yourself and then fell into the rabbit hole? Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm. I'm not even sure if I can can answer it meaningfully because it took me actually multiple touch points with bitcoin again so i <laughs> it seems i'm a very slow learner and i think i think it was the third or fourth time around when i heard about bitcoin that i took it more seriously and as i said in the beginning like i focus on education because i i hope that not everyone makes all the mistakes that i made so i made all the mistakes there is there is to make like i went into mining i went into all the altcoins i i thought that bitcoin is like the first version and it will be surpassed by pretty much every project that i looked into <laughs> the marketing side of of many altcoins is is quite well done so if you don't know anything about these systems and about economics and money in particular you might think that other systems are superior in so many ways and again i made all the mistakes and it took me a very long time to get it and i think what what really what really clicked for me what what was like the the, the breaking point where i understood that this is something different is that it's not about about technology it's not necessarily a technological invention per se like it's not a a, a new app or anything like that or or a new shiny thingy but it's really about an invention in money and reinventing the money and this is something that only happens like every couple millennia you know and it's it's also a very profound reinvention of money it i i view it more as something that improves upon gold in such a profound way that you basically have this digital super gold um, that you can teleport across any communications channel and once you understand that money is an extremely important tool for society in general then it, it dawned on me that, that this is not simply uh, a play toy or an app or anything like that but it's a really profound societal change and i think I think it's it's interesting to think it to think about it in this more fundamental sense in the same way that the cypherpunks thought about strong cryptography in the 60s and 70s that it will change society completely because it's just such a a, a novel invention and such a, a new thing that really empowers the individual of course we need cryptography for bitcoin but i think what is interesting in bitcoin is it's not merely a cypherpunky payment system it's a reinvention of money and scarcity and it's the first thing that is truly absolutely scarce and all those things combined it doesn't really necessarily have to do with technology in the widest sense it's really about a reinvention of money and i think that was the most important thing for me to grasp yes what is your experience in educating people about that because i think many people fear the fact that bitcoin actually is an opt out of the current situation and also an opt out out of the hierarchical systems of a nation state and many people then say wow i'm i'm scared how how should this go and i no i don't want bitcoin yeah it's too disturbing in a way i always have this impression and also if you discuss about the functions of money or what it is people get so emotional that you almost cannot discuss with them yeah and i think mm-hmm. yeah and i think one one thing is also that we don't learn how money is coming into existence in school or anywhere else <laughs> yeah it makes you suspicious of the whole education system right like why don't we learn about anything like that <laughs> I, I i think it's it's you know if if you are prone to conspiratorial thinking then this looks awfully deliberate that nobody really knows what money is and how it works and how the modern uh, banking system and the fractional reserve banking system works and what central banks actually do and so on so it's it's definitely hard to work against this yeah almost like indoctrination of the masses that you know money has only a worth because money can only work when governments are behind it for example that's that's one of of those lines of thinking that many people have educating people on these issues is really hard as you pointed out and i think you're right when you say that a lot of people are really afraid it's it's always difficult to change the way you're doing things and bitcoin is such a profound change 
it will also inevitably change your worldview if you learn about it, especially if you come from what many people call a default Keynesian view of the world. Like you have to have inflation for the economy to work, for example, and all spending is good. Like you have this broken window fallacy in economics that, you know, everything that, that leads to people spending money is good for the economy. So um, in essence, the, the ridiculousness of, of this thought is that everything that breaks is also good for the economy. So you could just go around and smash windows and it would be good for the economy because you will need more people that make windows and so on and so forth. So fighting against these kinds, these lines of thinking is is really, really hard. But I think like... I think there are ways to talk about Bitcoin without necessarily talking about Bitcoin. And I'm a huge fan of this approach. I think a lot of people instinctively know that the money is broken, even though they can't articulate it. I think a lot of people uh, deeply feel and know and realize that just leaving your money on the bank is, it's, it's a fool's errand. Like you must not do that <laughs> because it will just lose purchasing power over time. And I think a lot of people also realize that the money gets worth less and less. Like if you talk to people that are 50, 60, 70 years or older, they will remember a time in like in Austria and in Germany where a German mark or in Austria, the shilling, like 20 shillings would buy you almost a lunch, you know? And if you convert it to euros, it's like a euro 70 or something, or let's say a euro 50. And a euro 50 buys you nothing today. And I think a lot of people instinctively know that and that's that's something that it, it's a very easy entry point in one aspect of talking about bitcoin that the money is broken and that we live in an uh, inflationary environment where just money loses its purchasing power over time and i think everyone kind of knows that and there, there might be many ways to talk about bitcoin without talking about bitcoin for different groups of people. There are so many people now online that get deplatformed, for example, or get censored by PayPal. Or, you know, if you look in the sex worker space, for example, uh, they, they have a very hard time of get, getting any access to any finance services or getting bank accounts and stuff like that. In the US, we also saw the same phenomenon with the Mariana industry and other like industries at, let's say, at the, at the fringe of society, even though it's not really the fringe, but it's not mainstream accepted. So there, there are a bunch of people that, that immediately get what bit, like some of the problems that Bitcoin is trying to solve. And yeah, if, if you are a political activist as well, or a, or a journalist, you might want a, an uncensorable way to get money and to hold your money. So I think all those things are entry points to talk about Bitcoin without necessarily talking about Bitcoin directly. That's true. And you're right. I'm also adjusting it always, like in which group I'm, I am at the moment. <laughs> and you just said use cases. Yeah. I mean, I, what I see in the German speaking world, or let's say in the so-called developed world, in most cases, it's speculation, like saving money, uh, a hedge against inflation. But I was in Zimbabwe in February and the people very fast, they understand what Bitcoin is. If you tell them it's uncensorable, you can send it from US, from Europe to you in Zimbabwe. You can send it out of Zimbabwe and the uh, kleptocracy cannot get it, you know. And I, 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 the funny thing is, I mean, it's not really funny for Venezuelans, but I think the Venezuelan government now offers a Bitcoin payment over BTC pay server <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so also the government the totalitarian authoritarian realized that bitcoin has a value and as was what you also said before i mean the banking industry is basically old technology banking industry is about 200 years old i guess and its accounting systems are not up to date and they are not made for the future. We saw that also uh, in the Wirecard case huh, today. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's very true what you're saying about banking being a really old technology. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous once you start to think about it that you can't make any bank transfers on the weekends, for example. And bank transfers uh, sometimes take up to three or four days or even longer. Like once you cross a border with a bank transfer, it might take a week or longer. And uh, a lot of people have these problems naturally, as, as you also pointed out. But also in Europe, you know, we have many Gastarbeiter, like they 
they work in another country and they they're trying to send money home and all around the world people realize that they're now thanks to bitcoin way easier and better ways to to do that because if you're using the banking system then you just pay an insane amount of fees and it takes a very long time and you might not be able to do it like depending on your circumstances andreas antonopoulos talks about that a lot that so many people uh, they don't have any government mandated identity or another or, or a postal address and then suddenly you cannot create a bank account like as i said the banking system is so old and uh, archaic it's just not fit for the 21st century and that's what i really love about bitcoin as well that it's not tied to your identity like identity only exists in the form of of private keys pretty much and you can like it doesn't matter who you are or even what you are like even if you're a computer program or even if you're a dog for that matter you can have a bitcoin address and start accepting payments and and that's just a, a very very powerful thing in bitcoin as we talked before on the development side there is like uh, no barrier to entry and that's that's also true for just joining the network and creating accounts and, and stuff like that but you also talked about how in the west it's mostly it's mostly used for speculation and i i do agree that's that's that has been true for the last couple of years but i also see it well, thanks to the stacking sets and all the dca movement i i see it shifting i see it shifting to more of a savings technology because now in, even in the developed world a lot of people wake up to the fact that governments can't just print money out of thin air and in response to the coronavirus we saw that this is exactly what they did and they printed trillions upon trillions of, of dollars and euros and just pick your <laughs> pick your favorite central bank and you will see the amount of money they injected into the system, the, the amount of money they printed out of thin air is just insane. I think people realize that no matter where you park your wealth, um, it, it will inflate in a way. I think a lot of people decide to to take this bet and hedge against the current system and just um, start saving small amounts in Bitcoin weekly or monthly. We currently are living through this mental shift in the developed world to, to view Bitcoin not as speculation anymore like not as pure speculation where you put money in and after you made 10x or 100x you get the money out again and go back into euros or dollars or yen or what have you but really see it as saving and use satoshis as your measure of wealth and value so to speak how do you explain to people the concept of uh, scarcity so that bitcoin basically is a deflationary or not a debt-based instrument and how could the economy thrive without having this Keynesian manipulating of the money supply? Hmm. I think I think the first thing that's important to realize is that um, the idea that you have to manipulate the supply of money for the economy to function is a very very new one. If we look back into history, we saw that we saw long periods. Um, of time where we had a hard money and gold was used as the money and we still had working and flourishing economies and if you if you study history you will see that the belle epoque where a lot of great works of art great architecture great advancements in science and and great literature and uh, many great things have happened <laughs> and we we had a, a a great booming and functioning economy and we we had nobody who actively managed the money supply we had no central banks that injected liquidity into the system and all these weird words they have nowadays for printing money you know like there are so many so many so many euphorisms for printing money it's it's hard to keep count <laughs> and explaining scarcity i i think i think people instinctively realize that money should be scarce and thinks that hold value have to be scarce i think that's why people uh, try to diversify into real estate and into old timers and into expensive watches and what have you i think people instinctively get scarcity it's it's not something you have to pitch to people but it's really hard to wrap your head around how bitcoin achieves scarcity so so that's really difficult and i uh, to be honest i haven't found a nice succinct way at 
in explaining how Bitcoin achieves this kind of scarcity. I think the best the best metaphor I have is to compare Bitcoin to a game where if you look at the game of chess, for example, the amount of squares you have on the chessboard is predefined and scarce. And everyone agrees that a chessboard only has this size and these amount of squares on it. And if you if you try to change that, you will play a different game. And that's that's in a way how Bitcoin's consensus rules work. And you could explain it in along those lines, but it's it's really hard to wrap your head around. So it's it's very easy to say Bitcoin has 21 million bitcoins and that's it. And it it doesn't really matter why it is that way and uh, it doesn't matter if you truly deeply understand how this works uh, it's it's just important that you know that and i think that's also the main entry point for most people that you've you've heard it so many times that there's only a limited supply in bitcoin that you have just 21 million and nothing more and you will start to believe that and uh, once you start to realize what this means you you will try to get some you know as satoshi said in, in case it catches on also compared very often to property. So on Earth, there is only so much property and if it's run out, it's run out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I really like the the real estate comparison as well. And uh, a, a lot of people use it as well. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think, again, with, with property, there are many comparisons that you can make. And I think it's... It's a very useful analogy as well for absolute newbies because it, I think it lands really quickly. Yeah, very often when there's a discussion about the monetary properties or the properties of Bitcoin being money, the three functions of money are said, like uh, store of value, medium of exchange and medium of account. And then everybody always saying, yeah, but Bitcoin is not a medium of account and it will never be. So, and I always think this might be just a, uh, you cannot see so far. You don't want to see the possibilities. And that's why you dismiss it and say it doesn't have these three functions that money has to have. But it's just a definition. I mean, definitions can change, can't they? Yeah, of course. I think what, what a lot of people miss that use that as a line of argument to dismiss Bitcoin is that we've never seen a monetary good develop in real time and we've never seen anything being adopted as money in real time and since everything is moving so quickly nowadays we, we live in this um, technological exponentially moving world like everything is happening quicker and quicker it, it seems like <laughs> it's already hard to make sense of the world and i have the feeling that it gets worse and worse every year and every month and I think this is also true in Bitcoin that everything is happening faster and faster and faster. And we now see, uh, I, I strongly disagree that Bitcoin, if you look at the three properties you mentioned, the store of value, medium of exchange and unit of account, I think Bitcoin already has all three. It's just not evenly distributed yet. There are definitely people that use it as a store of value, like the holders of last resort use it as a store of value. I use it as a store of value. A lot of Bitcoiners use it as a store of value. Even a lot of you know wealth managers nowadays start to use it as a store of value as well. And it's definitely a medium of exchange, and it always was a medium of exchange, like starting from the first transaction for real goods, which was Laszlo's pizza transaction. And it's... It's still used as a medium of exchange because there are some goods and services that you can only acquire for Bitcoin, even if it's something innocuous as, you know, lightning stickers and T-shirts and hats and socks, you know, like there's the Mount Socks, for example, which only accepts lightning. And there are many stores that only accept lightning. And I, I, I expect more people to set up stores and offer services and goods and only accept bitcoin because that's the only money they want to have and they don't want to jump through the hoops of converting fiat to bitcoin and it's also a unit of account and a lot of people don't realize that and it it, it kind of <laughs> it, it kind of disappoints me almost on a on an intellectual level that people don't really realize it because if you're trading shit coins then bitcoin is your unit of account if it isn't, then you're just a really bad trader. Because especially in, in the in the altcoin space, 
Bitcoin is the numerator. Like everything is related to Bitcoin. And if you're not tracking your wealth in Bitcoin, you're just doing it wrong completely because you might be up in USD or Euro terms, but you will be down in Bitcoin terms uh, most likely. And so not only that, not only traders use Bitcoin as a unit of account, but a lot of Bitcoiners start to use Bitcoin as a unit of account as well. As I said before, I think we're currently living through this mental shift from speculation to savings. And I know a lot of people, and myself included, I I measure my net worth, so to speak, in sats and not in anything else. Like, I don't care about the dollar value. I don't care about the euro value. As I've said many times before, fiat is kind of that to me. And I think, you know, if if Bitcoiners are right and it, it plays out, Bitcoinization and hyper-Bitcoinization plays out as we de- describe it in the next couple of years. And I, I personally believe it, it won't take that long. It might take, you know, 10 years, but that's not a very long time span. Uh, then denominating your wealth in US dollar terms or in euro terms is completely nonsensical because it's, it's inflating like hell. And as we said before, thanks to the stimulus packages and uh, fighting the coronavirus economically, it's, it's, plainly obvious that all these currencies won't have stable value in the long term and they will only lose value so what you use as your unit of account is i think your your it, it it's part of your personal preference as well and so in my opinion bitcoin has all the three functions of money already store of value um unit of account and medium of exchange and i think it's plainly obvious that it does it's just not evenly distributed and not all people on planet earth um see bitcoin as a store of value as a medium of exchange and as a unit of account but you know we we see these adoption waves and i can tell you how how many more adoption waves it will take until we hit the critical mass. But I think it won't be that many. I, I, I would be su- surprised if, if it was more than three. You know, that's also where my 10 year time horizon comes from. So I, I, last year I speculated that it will only take 10 years until we hit something like a critical mass. And last year, this meant three halvings. So we now had one halving and in the next eight years, we will have uh, two more. So if the, if the adoption cycles continue to coincide with the halving cycles, then I think it won't take more than three more hype cycles for Bitcoin to gain an extreme amount of traction and become something like a global money. So I, I hope that, that answers the question about the three the three properties of money that Bitcoin has. I think it, it already has them and I think a, a lot more people will wake up to that fact. That's a great answer. What do you think about uh, the Lightning Network? How long do you think will it take that people don't have to know the difference between Lightning and the Bitcoin base layer anymore? Hmm. That's a good question as well. I think it's obvious that we have to, like the technology has to develop in a way that this differentiation will be made in the background by software. I think people must not care about these things in the same way that when you use the internet, you don't care about the amount of TCP IP packets or that, that are sent or how exactly they are rooted. And uh, you don't care about the layers below. You only care about your WhatsApp screen or uh, your Snapchat screen and whatever is presented to you there. And I think we already came a very long way in, in the Bitcoin space. I think there are a lot of very usable wallets already on the desktop side we we have sap for example which is already really nice from the usability standpoint granted it's it's still kind of technical to get up and running and uh, know how everything works and you need your own lightning node and stuff like that but i i'm very bullish on the mobile space in particular because i think the default computing device of the world is the mobile phone and we saw already great developments on the mobile wallet side and i think it will just continue to develop i think the i think the most difficult thing in bitcoin in general is that it requires a lot of personal responsibility and if you want to use bitcoin properly like if you want to be a first class bitcoin citizen so to speak you will have to take self custody and it doesn't matter if this is lightning or 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 the base chain like as andreas likes to say not your keys not your bitcoin and i think this will always be true like we will 
always run into situations where we will trade off convenience in favor of self-custody. And I think people will always get burned by that. And I'm, 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 I'm still very optimistic though, because just, you know, a couple of years back, we had no HD wallets, for example, we had no, no seed phrases. We had no QR codes. All these are new developments and using Bitcoin in the very early days was extremely difficult and technical. And nowadays you can just download a wallet and write down your seed phrase and you're good to go. And in to answer your question more directly in terms of Bitcoin and Lightning, I think everything will be abstracted. And I'm, I'm also very sympathetic to the idea that Pierre Rochard popularized that pretty much every transaction on the base chain will be a lightning channel open or close that's that's that was his claim and i believe this to be true in in essence it might not be lightning it might not be a lightning channel open or close it might be other higher layer transactions so to speak but i think it's obvious that the base chain can't scale and just for that reason alone we will have to have something like lightning that that is truly usable by everyone and i i think it's it's also insane that we are still so early that just regular people can use the base chain because i i see as i see bitcoin evolve i think it will be a global settlement layer for something approximating central banks and since it's it's obviously superior to to gold and every other form of money we had like bitcoin is by far the best money we ever had and i think uh, as you also said you know the venezuelan government <laughs> now accepts bitcoin for for citizenship like for their passports for the passport payments and i think more and more governments will also realize that you know they can simply use the best money we ever had and once this starts happening we will see uh, a completely different Bitcoin, like I think Bitcoin already went through multiple phases and changed what people perceive it as. And I think this will happen again and again. And in terms of, in terms of usability, I think it will just take time. The internet was also very hard to use in the early days. Email was extremely hard to use in the early days. Encryption was almost impossible to use for the last 20 years. And only now with, with, yeah an insane amount of development and also political activism and also many pushes from many different directions. We now have HTTPS and SSL and encryption by default and every messenger is end-to-end encrypted. And people also start to, they, they start to expect those things. Like if you don't have the green lock in your browser, you will probably be suspicious of whatever website you're on. And if the, the, new app you're using to send messages isn't end-to-end encrypted people start to get suspicious because who knows who might be listening in and i think the same will be true in the finance space as well like if if people get used to using lightning for example if transactions aren't instant and and nearly free and if setting up an account isn't like as easy as just installing any app then people will get suspicious, I, I believe. And I think the, the usability is already almost getting there. I, I would I, I would wager that after the next hype cycle, we're pretty much ready for mass adoption on, uh, on, on the payment side of things as well, like merchants setting up point-of-sale systems very easily by just using their phone or using an iPad or anything like that. And also, mind you, <laughs> sorry for rambling on for that long, but... <laughs> it's it's a, a lot of things can happen and i think a lot of people underestimate what can happen quickly because so many large companies are also waking up to the fact that bitcoin is a an a real thing and an extremely important technology and if you look at what square crypto is doing for example they're one of the largest payment processors pretty much in the us and they're perfectly capable and i think it's also in their interest to switch from using the legacy banking system to Bitcoin over the long run. Like they are currently handling so much money and they are having point of sale services and solutions. They offer so many financial services and they have to use the legacy banking system 
to settle payments and to do other things. And it would make so much sense for them to just use Bitcoin. And I, I, I strongly believe that Jack understands that. And I, I also think that is part of the reason why he is so bullish on Bitcoin, because he, uh, I think it will just also be an insane competitive advantage if they do that. And once they do that, like, it, it it will hard to describe what it does to Bitcoin as well because suddenly at the snap of a finger you have it Bitcoin is adopted you know <laughs> and I like to I like to think of that as the voice of IP moment in the Bitcoin space because the same was true for the internet like not many people used the internet back in the day and it wasn't used for many things nowadays the internet is so ubiquitous that nothing would work if the internet would go down you know like healthcare and uh, just communication in general and voice over ip there was a moment like it was a period of time obviously but every single phone call now goes over the internet and i think the same will be true in bitcoin and uh, in finance like every every single financial transaction it just makes sense to do it over bitcoin and not use anything else just like every single communication it makes sense to use it to use the, the internet for that and and this happened and people didn't really realize that you know like if you're just a normal consumer you don't realize that you're that you're the the voice you're speaking in into your telephone gets transmuted into digital bytes and will be sent over the internet and it will come out on the other end but it actually happened and the internet hosts all telef- telephony uh, all of telephony pretty much and i think again the same will be true for bitcoin that everything that moves value across yeah across space it will use bitcoin underneath and <laughs> that's a very long-winded answer but i think again all of that will just be abstracted away and you will just be using your smartphone app and it will use lightning and bitcoin and maybe other layers underneath and everything will be taken care of in time it's a great reference i mean i what comes to mind is and all of this telephony started with one undersea cable from Europe to the US. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and we see what we where we have gone from there, yeah. Yeah, I th- I think people Marty Band likes to say that as uh, as well. People are so impatient, you know, like Rome wasn't built in a day and also the internet and everything all all of it all the awesome nice pretty things we have nowadays online, they weren't built in a day. And also the bitcoin infrastructure and the layers uh, on top of it, it won't be built in a day, but it's it's still built at lightning speed, like it's breakneck speed. Like the, the lightning, the lightning white paper is, is, I think, not even like three, four years old, something like that. So just just give the developers a couple of months or a couple of years, and we will be there. Yes, and the being slow in Bitcoin has also a reason because slow means secure. Or, I mean, and not too complex, getting too complex uh, very fast because that's also insecure in developing. Yeah, absolutely. I a, a small chapter in in my book Twenty One Lessons talks about that where Bitcoin is the antithesis of moving fast and breaking things. Like Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook popularized this phrase that you have to move fast and break things, and that's the that's the general idea in software that you can just iterate so quickly and it doesn't matter if something breaks because you can always fix it later. But Bitcoin is by nature very very, very different, and as Satoshi famously said, the design of the system is made in such a way that it's set in stone from day one and so you can't really break things like uh, if you if you break things it will be uh, it will have catastrophic consequences and so as you said it's it's a feature of bitcoin that it's really hard to, to change and the development on the on the base chain is slow moving but i wouldn't even say it's slow moving it's just deliberate and another feature of that is as well that you the other layers you build on top of it they are completely disconnected from, they don't influence the base layer. So if lightning fails completely, for example, or also if liquid, for example, fails completely, Bitcoin wouldn't care. Like if, if, if lightning has a fatal flaw and we will find out that it doesn't work at all, Bitcoin would still work as expected. And I think it's very important to build things that way, that you can't have a catastrophic failure just if an upper layer fails. Because you have a backup, basically. Yeah, basically. With the base, you, have, yeah. you have a fall, fallback, pretty much, yeah. So what do you think are the most interesting technical developments uh, in the moment in the Bitcoin space? Hmm, wow, there are so many. <laughs> hard, yeah. hard to pick just one. The improvements are really interesting from a technical 
perspective. There are coin joint proposals that are currently in the work. There's Patreon that is really pushed forward hard by multiple people now. And I think foreign taproot are really interesting because it enables so things. But I'm I'm very bullish on like uh, all those developments. They are very close to the base layer. But uh, I'm also very bullish on everything that is happening even above Lightning. And I really like how people are experimenting with creative uses Bitcoin. And Juggernaut would be one example. Sphinx Chat would be another, where you basically, the other way around, a lot of messaging apps like WeChat, WeChat in China, for example, they they started out as like a messaging app and now they have payments and everything integrated. And now we have people that use Lightning, which is like a payment system, first and foremost, and they build messaging into it. So you can have something that works like WhatsApp, um, but you have payments integrated because uh, also basically what's happening there is that every message you send will cost you like a, a, a very small fraction of a cent. So it, it costs you actually one Satoshi to send a message at least. And I think all of that is really interesting. Another thing that I really think is interesting is things through identity and login and authenticating you because I think basically identity on the internet is kind of broken or at least the username password idea is a really bad one and it, it's kind of broken and we see that with every hack and every passport leak and every like <laughs> very bad implementation of um, <laughs> password systems and I think it's really interesting that that people have found a way to use your own node to authenticate yourself and so many interesting things it's it's again it's hard to just pick one and i also always get the impression or i know that people are not aware of the fact that bitcoin can be the basis for so much more as you just said yeah for journalism for messaging apps with inbuilt bitcoin payment and many many apps that are to come and also, like uh, people always say, yeah, you, Ethereum is uh, so super because we can do smart contracts on it. Yeah, you can do this also on Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because it's also, would I need messaging on Bitcoin if I have WhatsApp and Signal and other things? And the, the great thing about it is that the properties that Bitcoin inherently has, for example, that it's censorship and has no barrier to entry. Like there's no, no you have to go to, to sign up or no company where you have to go to, to sign up. And so there's no one that can cancel you. And I think uh, this will be more and more important as uh, the cancel culture we are currently living in grows and grows. I think phenomenon that people will get deplatformed and canceled. It, it will just continue to grow until it's, um, so ridiculous and unbearable that it will just <laughs> kind of eat itself. But I, I think it's important to realize that even though it might seem a weird idea and clunky today to have uh, messaging built on top of Bitcoin, it might turn out to be very important in the future. And we saw that already in, in the past with uh, the Arab Spring, for example, where, you know, governments shut down the internet and uh, shut down messaging services, shut down communications. The thing about Bitcoin is, is that it's really hard to sh shut down. And another thing on the techn technological side developments that I think really interesting is a lot of people working on creative ways to transmit bitcoin trans and get access to the bitcoin network without using the internet like using satellites and uh, using radio systems and using things like that and i think all of that can work together to just build something that is extremely robust and resistant to to censorship and i think this will be more and more important and as you pointed out bitcoin can be used for so many different things and i really like uh small services that already play around with this idea for example on twitter there's the temp bot which uses open timestamps to take a tweet and just embed it in the a proof of its existence in the bitcoin blockchain and so you can always go back and and have definitive cryptographic proof that this piece of information existed and i mean the the that are, are are very interesting and there we see a lot of services popping up or we saw a lot of services popping up already where you can have proof of existence and just have something like put documents in and you can not only claim ownership of the documents but also prove that they existed in this form so there are many things you can do with bitcoin or how to use those cryptographic tricks yeah, hearing you talk about all those things always makes me so optimistic and enthusiastic <laughs> about the fact that I'm working in that space. Before that, and now we're coming to an end. Why 
is it so important for people to start stacking sets now? <laughs> I actually wrote an article about it. It's called Dear Friends, Dear Family, and you can just read that. But in, in essence, I think, I think now um, is still a time where things aren't insanely crazy. And I think that there will come a time where things are completely crazy, either in the fiat world, well, just money devalues and the, the euro collapses, for example. Uh, or on the other hand, uh, if it goes crazy in cyberspace and on the Bitcoin side, when Bitcoin just starts to pump and moon uh, like we've seen it before, I think the wrong thing is get into Bitcoin at that point in time. So the earlier and the more uh, relaxed you can get into it and just set up set up something <laughs> today that will just start stacking sets for you and you don't even have to think about it i think that's the right approach and then you don't have to deal with the psychological fallout if things start to move and get crazy do you have any book recommendations or other recommendations for listeners uh, to get a little more into bitcoin i mean you also wrote the book it's called 21 lessons Please tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously I would recommend uh, reading my book, 21 Lessons. <laughs> but you can also read it for free online on 21lessons.com. Uh, if you want to support me, you can buy it on Amazon as well. Book recommendations, actually. I, I have a site called bitcoinresources.com and I list a lot of books there a couple of times if I want to do it multilingual as well because... Um, nowadays there are some German speaking books as well and uh, books get translated in all kinds of languages but most of my recommendations are there if you're just to it I think uh, I would recommend two books nowadays I uh, uh, apart from the classics quote-unquote I think the Bitcoin standard is always uh, a good choice but I uh, the last books I read and I really liked was Why Buy Bitcoin by Andy Edstrom which talks a lot about what money is and the characteristics of money. And another book I really liked was Kara Brickers. And it talks in a very funny and interesting way about how Bitcoin works. So if you're interested in the technical side of things, I would recommend that newcomers as well. But again, you know, there are so many great books. It's hard to just pick one or two. My whole list of recommendations is on bitcoinresources.com. Thanks for the recommendation. I know these two. I've read about them, their names. But I didn't look into the books. I will do that now. Where can people and follow your work other than the two websites you have? The easiest way to follow me is on Twitter. I'm Dergi. And I also have a website, dergi.com, where I post uh, my work and my writing because I don't trust Medium and other centralized publishing platforms for the reasons we mentioned before, deplatforming and stuff like that. So everything I produce will also be published on dergi.com. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, I also host my podcast and my websites on my own server. <laughs> we'll put all the recommendations and your links into the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. I hope we can meet one day <laughs> in person. And other than that, yeah. Hey yeah, thanks for having me again. And I'm, I'm sure we will meet one day again in Meetspace. So take care, Anita. Yeah. <laughs> you too. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. If you like my show, please share it with your friends and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player now. Thanks to my sponsors who make it possible that I can produce the show. Localbitcoins.com, Shift Crypto with the Bitbox O2 and Coinfinity with their card wallet. Music. Start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production. Yours truly, Anita Posch. 